Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Quirky Corporate Chicks podcast. We are your hosts, Dana Foster and Sherry Hayes, corporate life coaches in private practice. We focus on people who follow their passion and how their lives have been impacted. Real stories, real entrepreneurs, and lots of laughter as we look at where life has taken us. And today, we are very fortunate to have Ned Minoyo, and he has such a fascinating story. Um, I'm really excited to have him on today. Welcome, Ned. Thank you. Uh, thank Welcome. you for having me. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to jump in with the first question. How does one go from being a domestic violence prosecutor, which is awesome, by the way, uh, to being an entertainment lawyer? Wow. Um, that's, that's the crux of it kind of right there. Um, how I became a domestic violence prosecutor um, is its own story, but um, I, uh, I was, I kind of grew up in a house where I was encouraged to do both the arts and then also my father was a lawyer. My mother became a lawyer when I was in high school. So the law was always a part of it. Um, but because they were both big firm lawyers, I wanted to do law my own way when I became one. Um, and I really wanted to do law in a way that tried to help the community and help the world um, in a direct way. Um, and to me, being a prosecutor, kind of out of the Bobby Kennedy model, uh, which my dad was one of my dad's heroes, you would always talk about him. And I ended up working for Joe Kennedy, who was Bobby's oldest son, um, oldest child in, in Boston when he was a congressman. Um, so I got, uh, I had a pretty heavy dose of that kind of idea of, um, you know, service. And I, I went back and forth between private practice and public, public. I actually started at the DA's office in Boston as an assistant DA it was my first job in Dorchester district court. And that had followed being a, a gang prosecutor, a gang, gang in the gang unit. I was a legal intern with the gang unit. Um, which is how I got the job as an assistant DA. It was very intense work um, during the height of a lot of violent, youth violence in Boston. And I found it really rewarding. Um, but um, for various reasons, I went to the private sector and um, kind of bounced back and forth. Um, I moved up to the state of Maine and I had a client who was uh, actually murdered by her boyfriend. Oh. And uh, in a private, you know, I was doing a car accident case, and it was really, um, it, it was very upsetting to me because I had like met with both of them in, in the same room and, you know, identified that there were problems with their relationship um, just from talking to them in the same moment. And then I started getting calls from her saying, you know, he's stalking me. What do I do? And I, I didn't know what to do. I said, well, talk to the police get a restraining order. I, I, I really didn't have an idea more than that. And a few months later, she was murdered by him. And then about a month after that, um, or even weeks or maybe even days, I can't recall, but it, I saw an advertisement for a domestic violence prosecutor in the paper or online and the legal classifieds. Cause I actually was never fully satisfied with my private sector jobs. Like I was making even really good money then. And I had no actual job satisfaction. Mm. Um, I was highly satisfied when I was doing the prosecutor work in Boston, but it also paid, you know, literally $27,000 a year at that point. And uh, people had part-time jobs who were prosecutors just to pay, just to be able to be a prosecutor. But so I, um, 
in that case, I took a massive pay cut. Um, I went to work for the DA's office in the domestic violence. I think as a special prosecutor just for that. So I did all the domestic violence cases for Portland, Maine for about three years, felony and misdemeanor, everything up to murder. So like, that's how I got to be that. Um, and what was I, the, just to jump in real quick, yeah. what was the satisfaction piece that was missing um, when you went from one to the other? Like what was the biggest difference in those two? Um, the, I mean, the, the personal injury work I was doing there was, was um, it's, it's, it's weird now that I'm a business owner, which is I know what we're gonna talk about, I understand it better. But when you're an employee of a business that's really sole function is to make money, it's, I, I didn't quite understand it. And also I didn't get to make the decisions. I didn't get to make the ethical decisions. Being a lawyer to me is like being a professional ethicist in a way, where you're mm -hmm. making calls on right and wrong and who you're gonna represent, who you're gonna advocate for. And, like when you're working for someone else, they're the one making those decisions. Um, they're the one making the call on what our position is going to be in court, how the business is going to be run, how people are going to be treated, um, yeah. like what the division of money is even going to be, that kind of thing. When you're running your own business, you get to make all those calls. That's actually the thing I find the most satisfying about what I'm doing now is I'm my own. I'm, I don't have to check in with somebody about whether I'm going to represent someone, how I'm going to represent them. Um, you know, and those are two big things. So they were kind of, I have this, you know, kind of pit bull side to me. Um, we all have different facets to us. And, um, you know, like working in the inner city court in Boston, you have to be pretty tough. And so I have that side. And um, also just naturally, I've always been a bit pugilistic in my, in, my, <laughs> in my life. As my good friend from childhood I was talking to the other day said to me, like, you've always kind of liked beating people up because <laughs> I, I do martial arts now. I don't do it physically now, but being a, being a trial lawyer is about as close to like legalized combat as, as we have in this, in our society. And um, so I, it's not that crazy that I, I, I gravitated toward that, that I was, you know, have that tied to me that once I'm pushed, I push back. Um, so they kind of really encouraged that part of me um, because it worked. It got them paid more. They got paid more for the same cases as other people because they were more aggressive. And they were great. They're incredible lawyers. These people I used to work with um, up in Maine. But but I uh, but when you're a prosecutor, your your primary allegiance, your primary duty is to justice. Like literally, that's like in the prosecutor. You know, you have your own separate set of ethics. Like you have an ethical guide that's for prosecutors and basically prosecutors and judges, where that say that your first duty is to do justice. So I would deny cases the police gave me. You know, I would I I had no allegiance to the police. I had no allegiance to the victims, even even though I was trained and taught to to really listen hard to them, to kind of give them the benefit of the doubt and that. And I would train the police officers in, in turn to do the same. But um, you you could go home at the end of every day and go, I tried to do the right thing all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's a really satisfying thing to do. I did burn out on it though. Like I, I, I couldn't, I literally could not, I, one day I went to work and I mean, there would be, because I, it was my only thing I did. I, every day would have four to six or more, um, police reports sitting on my desk waiting for me in the morning of varying degrees of severity. And I mean, we're talking about child abuse, like attempted murders, you know, all the way to, to, to just threats to kill. But, as, as I learned from personal experience, 
a threat to kill can materialize into an actual action. So I took everything, and maybe because of my experience with my client who was killed, um, I had I took it all very seriously every single day. I, I every every decision was almost like a life or death decision. So, like, was I going to move for bail? Like, what would my argument be? I put a lot of pressure on myself, but. Then I like would read a police report. At one point, I just couldn't read another one. I literally couldn't read it. I was like, "This is the la- this is the very last one of these I read," you know, because I and now I still to this day I used to read book. I used to read fiction, novels, uh, murder mysteries. I haven't read like a murder mystery since I left the DA's office. Like I, I'm kind of done. I'm through. I don't. I don't go to dramatic movies if I can help it. <laughs> like I just, I'm, I'm trying to keep everything light. You were because, living it, yeah. Yeah, I don't need. I don't need any more of that image in my mind. But then I, I ended up getting a job out of law, actually, out of law firm, but out of law. I was, I became, because I was very active in politics in Maine, too, as a volunteer, really, for, for candidates I liked, for various Democratic candidates I liked. And that made, that ended up making me valuable as a lawyer, because I, I, I never set out to be a lobbyist, but it, because I was, I have a kind of a business mindset. Like I, I understand the value of a thriving business economy, and and I don't think government should be employing everybody. I mean, the business is the engine of everything, like entrepreneurs and businesses and corporations. But they need to be kind of regulated, obviously. But um, so I'm kind of like a, I'm still going back to the Kennedy idea, like a, a John Kennedy Democrat, where it's like I'm in favor of business but also in favor of like social justice and social action. So they, I kind of fit this particular law firm in Maine who uh, needed someone who could kind of walk into the door of the Speaker of the House and the President of the Senate who were Democrats, but no one else they could had their could. So I ended up working for them, which was amazing to, to have amazing transition to make um, from domestic violence prosecutor to, to political consultant, basically, and lobbyist. Um, but then the arts just caught me and um, it was right around the time my first marriage was was ending, and I was and I, I had a lot of uh, one as one other lobbyist up in the state of Maine said to me, a great old guy, he's like, you have a you have an unusual amount of freedom right now, because <laughs> I was like 34 years old, and I I could I literally I didn't have kids, I had you know ten thousand dollars in the bank, and I could just be like, what am I gonna do? And I'm like, a friend of mine said to me, I'm moving to. Um, California. I'm moving to Los Angeles. My best friend in Maine said I'm moving to Los Angeles out of the blue one day. And I said, not without me. <laughs> I'm like, I, I never even been here. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm like, not without me or not, you know? And I, it was just time for me to go. And I said to myself, it was May 14th, one year in, uh, I guess, 2005. And I said, if it, sno- if it snows tomorrow, like I- I'm leaving Maine. <laughs> and it, it snowed on May 15th. It snowed. Wow. And I was like, I'm out, you know, and, um, but I didn't know if it was going to be like LA or Miami. It was going to be someplace hot and sunny. <laughs> and, uh, so like I came to LA for a week to visit and just fell in love and, um, felt, I felt a, immediately alive when I got here and the sunshine, the, the artistic vibe, the people I met, even in that week I was here, I uh, came just to test it. I literally just, that was it. I went to my job, quit the job. They were giving me a promotion. Like in the same meeting, I was getting a promotion. I said to him, "Thank you very much. I'm very, com- I'm very complimented by this." Thank but you. I'm moving to Los Angeles to try acting. And he literally looked. at This is the more conservative one of my bosses. He literally looked at me like I was absolutely insane. You know, like I was crazy because they're handing me this plum, and it really was. Like I regretted it a few times afterward, but 
Um, on the other hand, it was it was obviously the right thing for me because I've been really happy here. But um, it's amazing because it sounds like you yeah. had like instant clarity. You asked it, for yeah, a sign. Well, yeah, I don't. I don't. Sign, and then that, that, that took a lot of work. I did. A, I got into the artist's way. Do you know that book, The Artist's yes, Way? Yeah, I've done that. Mm -hmm. I got into that. So I was doing the journaling every morning um, mm -hmm. for months. Morning pages. Before. Morning pages. Yeah. Yes. For, absolutely, for months before I came to the. Um, before I came to that realization. And, um, but I, I think that kind of thinking, and I, I had a career counselor like you guys, I mean, I highly recommend getting help to people. I had a career counselor I talked to for more than two years, probably, you know, before I came. So it was a moment of clarity, but there was a lot of work that led up to it. Mm -hmm. a lot of internal work, yeah. And then seeing the sunshine was the actual clarity, you know. So I, I was like, okay, there's yes. lots of sunshine here. Um, and palm trees and wait a minute, I can live here, I can move here, you know. But I literally got in the car. Um, I I knew three people in LA and only one of them would call me back when I called them. <laughs> I was the most famous person, which was ironic. Um and but I had like I literally got half had, had, I brought my dog, like put half my like half a car full of stuff, my dog. I drove here, I didn't know, I didn't have a place to live or a job. And I just landed at a hotel um, and got a 30 day sublet, which someone recommended to me. I, I landed in Hollywood for 30 days, um, found some work pretty fast, like found another place to live pretty fast and, and literally started over from complete scratch. And now I've got this, whatever life that I've got going now, which um, <laughs> so it's kind of crazy. You literally can do that, you know, you can do that. Um, yeah, I think that's interesting too that you are around the same age that both Dana and I were when we decided to make our change. You know, you kind of hit that mid thirty point, like, hmm, mm -hmm. you know, uh, yeah. what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah, it's a big reality check. You're just like, what am I doing with my life? Like, what is the purpose of this? Or, you know, if you're if you're being really successful, it's kind of like you can't take the money with you. So, mm -hmm. like, what what am, am I really following my passion? So, I mean, yeah. that's super inspiring. That you're just like, yeah, I'm gonna go out there and and give it a whirl and sounds like you'd have some success with it. <laughs> I mean, the six, the real success of it has been just the experiences of it, you know, and, yeah. and, and, um, you know, it's a, but it's a, it's, it was a big thing to do, you know? I, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. It's, you, you need to, I, I felt like I said to my dad who was sick when I left, um, he, he had cancer and I knew that I was giving up spending time with him to leave. And I said to him, I don't have like a lot of money. I don't have a lot of, you know, I don't have, I don't have a lot of anything right now, but what I do have is time. Mm -hmm. And to me, my time was my most, yeah. that was my, that was the money I had in the bank. You know what I mean? I had this time and I wanted to spend the time wisely and I wanted to take advantage of the time I had, you know, and he understood it was, it was sad because it was like, we knew that he wasn't going to be around a hell of a lot longer. He ended up lasting quite a while, but he, he was, uh, had a, um, type of cancer that was definitely terminal. So it was, it was, uh, it was a big thing. I mean, it kind of goes like to the whole idea of being an entrepreneur. Now. Um, I think like the fact that you and, and Dana and we all have the same, we all make a change. Like there's a certain mindset where you're willing to do that. And, so, and other mindsets that aren't. And that's actually something that I've had to realize is that not everybody shares this mindset that I have. You know, you're mm -hmm. willing to yeah. like say like, 
make that cost benefit analysis and be like, listen, I understand like, you know, I'm going to get to spend less time with my dad as you know, or I'm going to have a lot less financial security, or I'm going to have, I'm going to be starting over. I'm going to give up that even just the, the social and political capital I gave up by leaving Maine where people knew me. I knew the governor, I knew the attorney general, I knew the chief justice, you know, that was, that was a lot to walk away from, you know? Yeah. The social yeah. equity. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, but, but it, but then you're just alive. If you're someone who needs to feel alive like that, it makes you feel alive. So like, that's how I live what I'm doing now. It's, you know, every day is like, I'm pushed to the brink of some test where I'm tested how bad do I want to do this? Like, how much do I want to keep this going? You know, um, can I deep reach down? Like there was a one night when I was driving across the country when I just, I was in Missouri and I was like, this is a mistake. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm like three quarters of the way across the country. And I, thank God I had my dog with me. Um, this beautiful black lab I had named Siggy. And I, he was lying on the ground, just looking at me. And I literally got down on the floor and I slept next to him that night on the floor. And I was just like, and he comforted me, got me through that night, got back up, kept going. And it's like, you got to reach down. And I think whether it's the artist's way or if you're an artistic person or whatever it is, career coaches, we need to like find things to help us through this. I don't think anyone really is strong enough to kind of just, maybe you're lucky enough to have a really supportive partner or something like that. Um, but we need, you, I encourage people who want to start their own business to find support systems you know, find people to help them through it um, because it's hard, you know. And it can be very isolating too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you are used to having that, whether it's corporate culture or, you know, just going out for beers with someone after work and then you're suddenly by yourself and, um, you know, like, did I put pants on today? You know, (laughs) it's time working. (laughs) And and there's nobody to blame either, which, I mean, you shouldn't blame anyone or anything in general, but when you become an entrepreneur, like you have to look in the mirror and anything and everything that's happening (laughs) is a direct reflection of you. There's nobody else to point fingers at. So if you're feeling isolated, it's like, well, am I sitting in my house every day, all day, or am Mm -hmm. I going out and trying to meet people? Oh, I guess I should probably try and go out and meet people. Nobody's going to just show up on my doorstep or, you know, my business isn't going the way that I think it is. Am I asking for support? It's like, there's nobody else. It's just your accountability. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to get very in touch with your own (laughs) strengths and weaknesses very quickly, (laughs) like very quickly, you know? And I, I, uh, you know, it's something like, and then like, I think like when you have a weakness, like mine is organization of like paper or whatever it is. And it's like, get help. Just, you you don't really have to like reinvent yourself or change yourself. You can just get help, get Mm -hmm. the help, you know, find someone to help you. Like, you know, I recently, although I just got text messages from her, let's see if she quit. Um, I recently, (laughs) okay. Uh, Okay, no, she didn't quit. Good. Um, I recently got a, like two days ago, got an executive assistant who I'm going to be basically bartering. Like, you know, she needs help in the music business and she's, but she's experienced with the executive assistant work. So to her, like doing that's free, easy, and I can help her too, you know? So mm-hmm. get someone to help you if you can. And there are ways to do it without necessarily spending a lot of money. I have another woman who's basically my paralegal, who's a paralegal currently. And at a, at a big movie studio in their music licensing division, but she wants to be a music lawyer or work in a more of a music law practice environment. And so we 
we make it work. And now she's like part of my business, hundred percent part, you know? Um, so, um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big believer in team anyway, but when you start out, you are on your own. And I agree, Sherry, you get like, you got to get out of the house. Like, like you got to find anything you can do to, to make it seem normal. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. you know, I'm at a coffee shop, you know, like every day, there's this one coffee shop I go to. And I, it felt a few days ago, it felt for the first time, like my office, you know, I was having a meeting with a friend and then two or three people walked through and gave me like a hi. One of them was a big time professional bass player. The other one's a big time professional guitar player. The other one, you know, it's like these, like, they're like, oh, this is like, and then, a, then a ne my next meeting showed up. I'm like, I need to probably be paying rent to that coffee shop. <laughs> I don't think the $4 for the organic latte are, is necessarily compensation enough for like what they give me. Um, but, you know, that's the vibe of this particular place. Hey, but you know, you're bringing people there. You're bringing true, more business, true, you know, I mean, true. you're, you're still I'm one of the local colorful, colorful, colorful characters. Times <laughs> fast. Um, so I, I don't know, that was a pretty roundabout way of trying to answer your first question, Sherry, but I don't know. Oh, no, that's <laughs> wonderful. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. So I started my own practice and, and uh, wanted to be, oh, you asked about domestic violence to, to what? What was the second part? To uh, to being a music lawyer? Yeah, yeah, I think you yeah. answered that pretty well. Okay, yeah. I ended up like starting my own practice, and 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 the people I knew were musicians, and I I read Don Passman's book about the music business, and um, it sounded good to me, and uh, it was another actual moment of clarity. Actually, reading that paragraph in his book about the music law lawyer, for all the thinking I'd done my whole life about what I was going to be, which was a lot. Um, and then I read one paragraph in a book and I said to myself, that really sounds like me. You know, that sounds good. And three years later, it, it has been like, I've never been happier in a job. I've never liked something I've been doing more. Um, so I think like a lot of it is just, uh, my, my thing is like trust, learning to trust your, that voice in your head that says, yeah. you know, in that one moment you read something, you're like, there it is. Like, that's what I've been looking for. It doesn't have to be this long slow unveiling of a truth you know it can mm -hmm. be just a minute you go that's that's it right there that's what i've been looking for yeah well and i think there's also that piece too where um i always say there's there's knowing in the doing so you don't really ever know if something's the right fit for you unless you go out and give it a try right and so like you you're like i'm gonna go out and just give this a try and then in doing that you know, in the end, you got to marry both of them where it was like, you got to still work with artistic people and get to be an attorney. And who would have thought that, you know, when you were back when you were 34, that probably would have just seemed crazy that you'd be able to bring all of that together. Yeah. And just in the reading. So, I mean, and, and like what you said, I think oftentimes too, people, they want to try something new and yet they'll, they get stuck behind a computer and not actually get out and just go do it. Mm -hmm. And then they never really know if that's what they want to do. So that's why I'm like, just go out and try it. Yeah. Like you yeah. said, like it doesn't have to be maybe even like paying for it. It could be volunteering. Yeah. I think there's a fear aspect like of, oh my God, uh, I did it. I mean, at least when I quit my banking job last year, I, after the shock wore off, I'm like, oh, what's next? <laughs> mm -hmm. yes. I, I thought about what I wanted to do, which was become a life coach, but I didn't really think about the steps that I was gonna need to take and I guess now I'm kind of, 
I'm thrown in the deep end. And luckily I was a good swimmer, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. I think everybody has that when they, when yeah. they decide to take that big plunge. I mean, I, there were several times, so I had quit my job um, as well, Ned, and then I decided to travel for a year. And there were so many times I'd be traveling and it'd be like, oh, so happy and, you know, enjoying the moment. And then all of a sudden I'd be like, what am I going to do at the end of this? And I'm like, don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. Just be present. You said you'd give yourself a year and mm -hmm. then that worry would set in. And, um, and it was funny, actually, it was like after the year had gone by, I worried about it less because I just had trust in it's all going to work out. Like I'm That's not going to cool. starve to death. Like it's, it's all going to work out. And, uh, and I was definitely less worried about it, but it took almost a year for me to stop worrying about it when you would think it would actually be ramping up, you know, to be like, Oh, we're coming towards the end. Um, but it literally like, it took me that long to just kind of like let go and be like, it's all going to work out. It's, it's going to be fine. And, it, you, and it has been yeah. as yeah. long and as you're taking just... the actions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think you, you hit a total uh, 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 technique I use on myself, which is I allow myself to kind of have suspended disbelief for a while. You know, mm -hmm. like I give myself like two weeks or a day or, you know, and I say uh, everything's nothing's going to change between now and tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to worry today. And if you do that like enough day in, day out, day in, day out, and like you're making whatever rent you have to make or whatever. I made my rent this week. Okay, I have another month. I can just, I'm not gonna, I'm giving myself permission not to worry. Mm -hmm. The more you can do that, and it frees you up to be creative and to exactly. take those other risks you need to take. I 100% also agree with doing, uh, for me, I have to try something to know if I like it or don't like it. Or, and, and, and even now with clients, I, I need to figure out how I'm gonna do it. I try it. You know, I might go a little far and, you know, become aggressive on something and dial it back or be too soft. I mean, I've gone from being like this aggressive prosecutor guy to some nowadays I'm like, I have a situation right now where I was like, I was too soft with this record company. They th I was trying to get along with them too well. And mm -hmm. now they think I'm soft. So now I have to be extra hardcore, you know what I mean? Just to kind of get back to a normal where they just respect yeah. me. So mm -hmm. it's like this constant balance of how am I going to do it? You know, but I, I'm a big believer in like giving yourself like time to say, like, I'm just not going to worry for this amount of time. I'm going to, I'm going to like, I'm going to two weeks from now, I'll worry, but not today, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and cause I think worrying is a, it's a big thing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you might be like, oh my God, <laughs> like, <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's all crashing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's, it's free fall. Um, but, but then you realize like, Okay, I'm going to survive this. I, I have a woman now who I work with who's actually a hypnotherapist in London, and she's amazing. She's she's given me lots of stuff. I can send you her, her contact info if any of you are interested. But uh, you guys, um, but she said to me, I said to her, I think my at one point I was having a dark day, and I said, I, I don't think I'm going to. I think this business is going to fail. Like I, I don't think I'm going to make it. And she she said to me, Oh, all right. And I'm like, What do you mean? Oh, all right. Like my entire existence is about keeping this business going. And she's like, yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. Don't like Richard Branson failed three to four times. He had four bankruptcies before he had a hit. I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. And then when I thought that I was like, if you, if, you, if you just say to yourself, oh, all right. Yeah. I, I failed this business. Like if you get the ego out of it, you get like, I'm so wrapped up in my ego. Is this going to make it like, are people going to think I was, 
reckless for starting my business. You know what I mean? Are people, mm-hmm. how are people going to think of me if this business is this particular iteration of a business isn't a success? Yeah. Um, but I think like we, we, we do ourselves a disservice by, by equating our own ego with the business or ourself with the business and, and just be like, yeah, business didn't work. As soon as you say to yourself, okay, I'll survive that, which we all will. We could all go mm-hmm. get a job someplace. We could all start another business. Now that we've done it once, we can do it again. You know, you know how to, you won't make the same mistakes. And we also know that you, I should have done this a long time ago. <laughs> like yeah. that kind of old thing. Like I could have left a long time ago. I could have started a business while I was still at the other place, you know? Like, yeah. Like you don't have to do, I'm working at this firm. I can't do anything else. Like, no, I'm working at a firm. I can start a record label. I could start a record label while I was at the firm. Had I known what I know now, you know, because I had money coming in, I could have just started signing artists easily, easily. And that's in my future now, but now I have to get the income to the point where I can do it again. But, but we don't have to live in a box. I have a job. I have a business. It can be like, I have a job. I started a business. I have a job. I bought three rentals. I'm airbnb them out all over the world. And guess what? I get to take tax deductions every time I go to these places. I mean, like, yeah. these are the things I think about now that I wish I had done then, but they still could be in my future. But I would just encourage everybody to think outside the box and don't, and, and, and yes, take it, take chances, but dab, start to dabble in business, you know, start to dabble in starting businesses and, and, and you might find your passion that way too, you know, start a little business, but something inside of you is saying for me, it would be a record label. But, you know, something inside of you saying, this is a good idea. Well, go for it. You know, give it a shot. Like, put some, put some skin in the game and see how it pans out, you know. And if it's a passion of yours, you want to go watch music all the time, great. You might be successful. Wow. What a great interview. <laughs> yeah. I was like, we could talk for hours. Now, we could talk amazing. for hours. We're going to have to have we a follow-up. We could yeah. do round two anytime you guys want. Oh, well, thank you so much, Ned, for your time today. And uh, we look forward to hearing how your business grows and how that record label turns out. <laughs> well, cool. And uh, you know, I'll always take music from you, Sherry. You, you uh, send, me, send me any bands you, you like. So. I will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Ned. See you then. Bye. See you then. Bye.